Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF. How you guys doing? All right, you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And uh, you made it. You made it to 9 a.m. Thank you so much for this, uh, for being here. This may be your service. You may come to this service uh, every week, or you might have responded to our request last week. And if that's you, thank you so much. And so this time of year, this is how it goes every single year. This is coming into the fall. The fall is coming, I know, I know it's going to break your heart, but the fall will be here, and when the fall hits, um, our 11 o'clock service always has some space issues, and so um, thanks for coming to 9 a.m. If maybe you just woke up a little earlier today and you don't normally come here, just stick around, meet some people, uh, make this service your home if you would. If you know people that go to 11 a.m., just, uh, just grab them next week and drag them to 9 a.m. You can go get some early lunch, uh, it'll work out great for everyone, so thanks for being a part of this. Uh, we are closing out a series this week um, called Force of Habit, and, and it's been a conversation about the habits in our lives, and, and we start off with this proverb that says that, that, that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, and, and the whole idea is that when we can't control ourselves, it's like anything can come into our lives, anything can go out of our lives, and, and, and there's no protection, and we don't end up being the people that we want to be, and so we start off by asking this question, if, if you're becoming the person that you're going to be proud of, as you look at the, the, the trajectory of your life, are you becoming the person that you're going to be proud of in five years, and in 10 years, and in 20 years? And we said these little moments, these moments are what's going to define your life. The magnitude of your life is going to be measured in moments. And if that's the case, then we need to, to take an inventory of our moments, an inventory of our habits, because 40% of what we do happens by habit. And if 40% of what we do isn't actually looked at and, and, and focused on something that's good and right and healthy and, and helps us achieve the goals that we want, we're going to get to the end of our lives and, and wonder where it's gone and wonder what we were thinking. And so the whole point has been to, to look inside, and, and it's been, uh, this, this series has been a lot of fun. It's, it's written on the back of our last series through the book of Ephesians, which was all about our identity. It was all about who we are in Christ. And, and owning this new identity that we have. And, and so then we said, hey, let's spend four weeks talking about then how do we respond to Christ and what he's done in our hearts? How do we change how we live to more align with who we are? Because as those who are in Christ now, you are holy, you are good, you are a new creation. There, that, that God has come in, he's changed you. Now you are something completely different. And that's what we celebrate this morning in baptism, is, is the, the difference between somebody who is dead and somebody who is alive. And then last week, Pastor Josh talked about how we are created with, with, a, with an identity that's awesome. God has given us an amazing identity. And so if you, never, if you don't know what to do, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't know what kind of choice to make, just go back to this identity in Christ that God has made you with this beautiful image, that you are the imago Dei, the image of God. And so come back to that and simply ask yourself, what would I do if I completely owned this new identity? And so, in fact, can we thank Pastor Josh for giving us the word last week and just preaching so well? I love that. 
We have a great team here, and I love that things just cruise on without me. Last week, I was just the umbrella guy, which was awesome. I just loved running around and uh, holding out umbrellas to keep people a little dry because it was pouring down rain last week. But if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, we're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to get there here in just a minute. But we're going to close out this series, uh, and this week is simply called A Better Yes, A Better Yes. Now, if you're a Christian here today, at some point... Um, you've hopefully said yes to Jesus and you've, you've made this, this outward declaration somehow in some way that, that you've let people know, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and a lot of times for people, this is kind of where it ends. Unfortunately, a lot of people, they, they, they feel like, hey, I've, I've prayed this prayer, I've, I've come to church, and, and now, now I'm done, I'm, I'm taken care of, like I'm going to power slide into heaven, and I'm good now. But there's this, this whole other process, this whole other way of living now, if you've said yes to Jesus. It's, it's kind of like, when you say yes to Jesus, now you get to say yes to Jesus. Like, when you've said yes to Jesus, now you live a lifestyle of saying yes to Jesus. And so I'd ask you this question, are you in a habit of saying yes to Jesus? Like, are you the kind of person that when, when you feel a tug on your heart, or you feel God calling you into something, or when you know this is right and this is wrong, are you in a habit of choosing what is best, choosing what is right, choosing what's going to honor God the most? Now, in my house, um, there are two different people. There's the yes parent and the no parent. And so, any parents in the room, I want you to just identify yourselves. If you're the yes parent, raise your hand. Yes parents? Yes parents? A few of you in the room? Okay. Hey, no parents. Any no parents in the room? Wow, this is the no service. All right, so lots of no. I am the no parent, though. I'll be honest. Uh, if the kids want something, if they ask for something, my, my first inclination is just to say no. And it's interesting, that little word can make a big difference in your life, can't it? I mean, you've said yes to things in your life, that word yes has changed your life. If you would look back on your life, you'd see these little moments where you said yes to something. And when you said yes to that thing, it completely changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it was for the better, or maybe you're still paying for a yes that you, that you made like a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, or maybe years ago. Maybe you're paying for it financially, right? Maybe, maybe you're paying for it emotionally. Or maybe in some ways you're reaping the benefit from a yes. You said yes to the right thing, and it changed your life. That little word can change your life. But what, the, the struggle is, how do we use it? And when do we use it? I, I, I want to take you guys back to December 28, 2002. Anybody not alive in, in, in December 28, 2002? Okay, I had a lot of people on, uh, on Wednesday, and I was like, oh, I feel so old. But anyway, so this was when I asked my wife to marry me. So... I had this whole plan with Amanda. We'd been dating for a while. I talked to her parents, and, and you call me old-fashioned, but this is kind of how it goes in my family. You go to the dad, men in the room, go talk to the dad, you know, ask his permission. And, and so I did. I talked to Amanda's dad, Cliff, talked to uh, her, her mom, and just let them know, hey, this is my intention with your daughter. I'm hoping to get married to her, you know? And they were like, hey, this looks good. Um, you know, we're behind you. We're supportive of you. And so I went out, and I bought this car, this beat up old car and then I, I fixed it up and I sold it and I bought a ring right it was like a life-size game of bigger and better right so I sold the car bought the ring now I've got the ring and I'm so excited I, I, and I had this plan I came up with this grand plan of how I was going to ask her to marry me uh, I called the police department and I said okay so I'm wondering if one of your guys could pull us over on the side of the road and could pull us out of the car and give us like the third degree and lay us up over the hood and cuff us and everything and then he's going to uncuff me I, I thought this was romantic 
music. I don't know. Like, in the moment, it made a lot of sense. He's going to uncuff me. I'm going to get down on one, on one knee, and like on the side of the highway, I'm going to ask her to marry me. This was, this was the plan. I don't know. So all the ladies at Dispatch were just going crazy. They were all excited, and they were like, yeah, we've got a guy that can do it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what he was doing, but he's like, hey, I got time today to, to pull this off. And so I had this whole thing planned on December 28th. And so at the last minute, I call Amanda's parents, and I'm like, hey, I'm just really excited. I want to let you guys know, like, it's going to happen tonight. I want to verify that you guys are good if I marry your daughter. Silence. Just silence on the phone. And then I hear Cliff pipe up, maybe you ought to come by. And I'm, you know, just just sick, right? I mean, you might as well just ripped my stomach out. I was just like, oh, what happened? You know, am I, you know, did I do something? Did I offend them? You know, and I, I go over to their house, freaked out, and I spend an hour talking to them. And I, I've got this, like, I still remember this paper towel in my hand that I just tore to shreds because I was so nervous. It turns out that they just wanted to ask, how are you going to take care of my daughter? You know, how, what's your plans for the future? You know, what are you going to do? All questions that I had no idea how to answer, but I just made stuff up. Apparently it worked out because they said, okay, you can marry Amanda. It's just fine. And so I ended up asking her to marry me in, in a totally different way. We won't go into way lamer. Wasn't as awesome as getting pulled over on the side of the road. But I just remember this moment with my wife, my, my now wife, Amanda, and, and this one question, this one question, and the answer that she gave has changed our lives. I mean, it has totally changed our lives. And I, I think about that, and, and it's it's just like, I mean, a little yes can change everything. And let me just a few months later tell you, it was interesting. I was engaged to her now, and I ran into a pastor friend of mine. And, uh, and he knew Amanda from like back in the day. This was like, you know, the high school Amanda. Anybody have people that like know you from back in the day? You're like, I wish they'd forget about what happened back in the day. And so I run into him and I'm like, yeah, I'm engaged to Amanda. I'm excited. And he goes, do you know what you're getting yourself into? And I thought for a second, so like I was ticked off. I'm like, you know, do you go straight to hell if you punch a pastor? Because this is offensive. Because I'm excited. I'm like, you know, just welling up with defensiveness about my new bride-to-be. And, and his question, like, although I, I, I'm, I still don't appreciate it, the question was simply this, do you know what's coming? And the honest answer is, no, I didn't. I didn't. If you're engaged in the room and you think, I know what's coming, let me just be honest with you, you don't know. You have no idea. You're like, no, but we lay on, lay, you know, on the phone together late at night, and like we fall asleep you know, on the phone, and I know everything about them, and I talk to them. So you don't know what's coming, right, married people? There's a lot of things that you don't know about, and you're going to learn these things as you go on. But this is how saying yes is a lot of times. Some of the best things that you've said yes to have le left you with a lot of questions, right? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns to some of the best things that you've walked into, a lot of mystery in, in, in the church, what we call that is faith. It's faith. It takes faith to say yes to the best things. It takes faith to, to choose to follow Jesus, faith to walk into the things that he, he tells you to walk into. And this is how God works. Is oftentimes, you don't know why he's calling you into it. You don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe you don't even know what you're going to have to give up to follow Jesus. You just know this is how it works. And if you look at the story of God and his people, this is just kind of how God loves to give directions. Is he likes to tell you where to go, or he likes to tell you to move without necessarily telling you where you're going. He's like, hey, take a step. And you're like, where am I headed? He just says, take a step. It's a step of faith. And so, again, are you in a habit of saying yes to Jesus, of following Jesus? 
Because I would say this, and this is where I want to pull us in here uh, today, because we're going to celebrate baptism. And baptism is a celebration of a life that's transformed, of somebody that is saying, is going public with this decision that my whole life is given to Jesus. And, and I, wonder, I wonder, is that the story you've heard? I wonder if you have really considered, if you're a Christian here today, that, that it means giving up everything to follow him. And as you look at the way that Jesus talked, this is how he, he talked. Remember the rich young ruler, you know? His, his idol was money. He loved his money, and Jesus knew it. And he says, he says, you know what you should do? You should sell everything that you own, and then follow me. And, and what does the Bible say? The Bible says that he walked away sad, because in his heart, he knew that he wasn't ready to give up everything to follow Jesus. But here's what we also know. We also know that in the book of, the, of James, it says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. That every good thing, every perfect thing, everything that you're grateful for in your life is a gift from God. And so what that means is when you say yes to Jesus, when you follow God with, with your whole heart and with your whole life, what you're saying yes to are better things, is a better life, is a better future, are better relationships, and ultimately a better eternity. And so again, are you in a habit of saying yes to Jesus, because when you do, when you're willing to say yes to Jesus at, at the drop of a hat, when you're convicted and called, when it's not this argument, anybody arguing with God right now? Anybody in a conversation with God where he's calling you into something, he's asking you to do something, and, and, and you're just not really ready or willing yet? When you're, when you're doing that, I've heard it said like this, when you argue with God and win, you lose. When you argue with God and win, you always lose. But when you argue with God and lose, you always win. And this is how it works. When you, when you choose what God wants for you, when you choose the best for you in God, you're going to always win, always come up out on top. It won't be easy. It might be hard. It might take sacrifice, but ultimately it will result in a win. Does that make sense? You guys awake? You guys with me? So, so when you argue with God and, and lose, you end up winning. You end up getting the best things. But there's a lot of lies out in this world. There's a lot of things coming in from the outside and from the inside that would try to convince you that other things are true. Uh, read this passage in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy. Let's read this together. It says, you're going to find that there will be times when people will no, no longer stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. I love that. Who says that anymore? That tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. Okay. So he's saying that from the outside... And from the inside are going to come all kinds of temptations. And your desires will be to find a certain truth that makes you feel better. Like you're going to seek out a church that says, if you follow Jesus, it's going to get easier, folks. Your bank account's going to fill up. Your relationships are all just going to get better. It's, you're going to be happier. You're going to feel better about life. You're going to be healthier. All, your, all of your, your, your physical ailments are going to go, go away. Just, just follow Jesus, and it's going to be easier. People are going to seek that out. Or maybe it has nothing even to do with Jesus, and you're going to seek out some other religion that fills some kind of void in your life, but it doesn't actually uh, result in you knowing God, the true God. And so we need to be aware. He's saying, watch out, Timothy. Teach these people. Be aware of the lies because they will come from every direction. Because this is what we want. We want to feel better. 
We don't want to sacrifice. And if I'm honest, most of my prayer life is wrapped up in me asking God to make me more comfortable and to make me more happy. Anybody else have that? Do you feel like when you pray, most of it's about God, could you just ease the pain? Could you fill the bank account? Could you make the kids you know, make the right decisions? Could you help me to, to have a better job, to get the position, to get the promotion? I mean, for the most part, it's about us and feeling better personally. But when you really say yes to Jesus, what you find out is that you've entered into God's story. You've entered into his story. And when you find out that you're in his story and when you surrender your life to him, all of a sudden your decision making is different. And when God calls you to something hard and difficult, what you know is that it's all about honoring him. It's not about what makes you feel good. And so it changes. So over time, the most mature believers, listen, the most mature Christians that I've ever met, the people that I'm like, I respect this person so much, they are the real deal, are people that don't have to spend days, weeks, and months asking themselves, should I say yes to Jesus? You know what I mean? Like it's not a long conversation. And I think this is, this is a mark of maturity. As, as you grow and as a believer, this conversation goes a lot shorter, doesn't it? It gets a lot shorter. It's kind of like, you know, for, for me and my wife, you know, at the beginning of our relationship, there's still some power struggle going on. We're, we're still trying to figure, like, who's, you know, who's really in charge here and who does what, you know? And, and I don't want to give up too much, you know, too much string, just enough to maybe hang myself with too early on this relationship. I want to hold on to some power. But then as you grow together and you learn to trust each other, you learn, like, as, as your spouse asks for something from you, the conversation's a little shorter, isn't it? Like, as you get older, it's like, yeah, that's good. I'm assuming, like, I trust you now. I believe in you, and, and maybe, maybe I don't really totally get this, but I'm going to trust that what you need here is right. I'm going to follow, you know? And, and so I think that's how it is with God, is that over time, when, when you know God, and you love Him, and you trust Him, and you've seen Him come through, you've seen it get hard, but you've seen Him provide, over time, you learn that I just need to say yes. I just need to follow Him. But it all begins with an initial decision, doesn't it? It all begins with a real heart-turning decision where you say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my whole heart, with my whole life. And look at your life. I would ask you, like, does your life reflect this decision has been made? Does your life reflect that you are a person who's truly following Jesus? Go to the book of Galatians real quick. I know I told you to go to Acts, but we're going to flip around before we get there too much. It says this in Galatians 5. It says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Love that. In due season you will reap only if what? If you don't give up. If you don't give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love this challenge in Galatians. He's, he's saying, you know, you may think that you don't have to put anything in the ground. You may think that you just say yes to Jesus once, and you're good, and you're just going to kind of cruise into heaven, and it's going to be fine. And, and again, this is not a works-based relationship. You're not working your way into heaven. And again, back to James. James says faith without works is dead. And so this is always coming back to a true decision, a true life change is going to result in different actions, different behaviors. And so he's saying like, hey, listen, you guys, what you put in the ground is what you pull out of the ground. 
and we don't think like this, I don't know, like I don't own a farm, I don't know too many people who own farms in our church, but like, you know, in, in agricultural communities, this makes maybe a lot more sense, but you don't pull from the ground what you didn't put into the ground. You, you don't ever reap what you didn't sow. You only reap what you sow, and so what you need to see is like, think of your eternity like, like an empty field. It's just an empty field. There's nothing been planted. Only by the grace of God are you going to end up into heaven. And so through Christ, we can, we can have salvation. We can end up spending eternity with God. But if you think about your future here on earth and in eternity, there, it's like an empty field to be planted. And so what a lot of believers are doing, what a lot of, I think, Christians do, is they sort of satisfy themselves on other people's harvest. What they look around and they see, oh, look at the cool things that the church is doing, but maybe you're not contributing to it. You're not part of it. You're not supporting it. Is this a hard message? I feel like this is getting heavy, but I feel like I just gotta, I gotta be honest with you guys because this is, this is what this is saying is that, that what we put in the ground is what we pull out of the ground. And I just wanna ask you personally, you, nobody else can plant for you. Only you can plant for yourself. And so what are you pulling out of the ground? And, and if, you, if you look at what's coming out of the ground, you're gonna see what you've been planting. If you look, and Jesus calls it fruit, if you want to bear good fruit, you're going to abide in him. And somebody who abides in Jesus, who says yes to Jesus, is going to pull good fruit out of the ground. And so I'd ask you, is this the, is this the story that you've been told? Because again, this is good stuff. And if you've ever planted anything in the ground and seen it come up and been able to take a bite of like a fresh piece of fruit or fresh vegetable that you pulled out of the ground, that's satisfying, isn't it? Isn't it satisfying? Because you, you know you did it. Like you were part of the whole process. You watched it. You put the seed in the ground. You watched it grow. You know, you sacrificed. You sweat to make it happen. You watched it as, as a small little, little bud come off the plant. And all of a sudden, you've got this, this piece of fruit or this vegetable in your hand. You're like, this is so cool. I love it. And this is what the life of a believer is like. When you invest in the kingdom of God, you're going to see cool things happen. And it's going to take work. And it's going to cost you something. But again, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so if it's good and it's perfect, then it came from God. And so we want to be a church of people who do this, who, who are, are constantly saying yes to Jesus, both for our good and for the good of those around us. It's a good community. It's a, it's a it, this, you know, you guys, I don't know um, how new you are to ACF Church. I don't know if you've been here for very long or you're brand new. But this church will be an amazing community if it's full of people who say yes to Jesus. And I think, I think it's already amazing. I, I've, to, I've said this before, like if I didn't work at ACF Church, I would go to ACF Church because I love this church, which you guys, uh, for a pastor to say that is a really big deal. Just go talk to one. I'm just telling you, like for a pa- I, I love this church. I love this community. Like it's, it's just awesome what's going on here, but it's awesome because a lot of people are saying yes to Jesus. And I just, I start dreaming and my head just kind of gets into the clouds and I start thinking, what if everybody just kept saying yes to Jesus? Again, we're not talking about just an initial conversion, we're talking about a lifelong decision-making process, constantly in a habit of hearing God speak and saying yes. And that'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? That'd be beautiful. So let's pray together and we'll get into the book of Acts. Jesus, uh, we want to be transformed by you and God I want to pray for the person in this room here today that's maybe far from you that is seeking some kind of truth and maybe doesn't know where to find it maybe is here searching for it God I pray there'd be something true and authentic they'd see in your church today Uh, God we know that there's a lot of places to go where people act like something they're not 
We pray that the church would be the place where people go and they're honest about who they are. And, and, and a place where people go and, and they take up a, a new identity in Christ where you transform people and they, and they, they, they hope and, and look forward to better things. And so that's us, that God, we're your church and we ask that you'd help us to walk into better things. God, we would choose a better yes. God, uh, enlighten us with your word. Help it to make sense to us. God, I pray I could say something that's helpful to somebody. And God, that we'd be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, and and this, is, this is a great story. I've never preached on this. And it's a great, this is kind of a classic baptism story. And if you've read ahead, you know what this is all about. And, and if you don't know what's going on in the story at this point, let me just kind of catch you up. Jesus, at this point, ha- has gone to the cross. He's been crucified. He's been buried in the ground. And then he is resurrected. And then he starts appearing to all kinds of people. Hundreds of people start seeing Jesus, you know, like lifetime like witnesses. They can see Jesus. And so the word is getting out. He's alive. He's risen. This angel spoke to these women. and They said, hey, don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. And so they were hopeless. They thought, okay, our, our, the guy that said he's the Messiah is dead. I don't know what we were thinking. Like, definitely wasn't the guy. He's in the ground. And then he is risen. And now, now this movement begins. This movement of the kingdom in Jerusalem. And so people are starting to tell the story, you know, like Twitter's going crazy about Jesus, like he's alive, we can't believe it. And so the, the story's getting out, and then, and then what happens here is that the, the church begins to be established in the city. And so what happens is like the people, they're just, they're just saying a simple thing. They're saying, repent and believe the good news of Jesus. This was what they were saying to everybody. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus commissions them. He's in what's called the Great Commission. And he says, go, make disciples of all nations. He wants them to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He wants them to teach them all of what he's commanded them. And so they're doing this. They're, they're sharing the good news. And Jesus says, hey, before, before I leave, I know you guys are establishing this church. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to give you my Holy, the Holy Spirit. And so, so the Holy Spirit's going to reside in you. The God himself is going to live in you. That's cool. And, and, and he's going to work out his power through you. And you're going to take this, this, this message. And you're going to take it from Jer- Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have this ripple effect. It's going to change the world. This is what Jesus said before any of this stuff starts happening. And then sure enough, the message starts spreading. And what was just maybe a couple people turns into a couple hundred people, turns into thousands of people in no time at all. And so now thousands of people are following Jesus. Thousands of people are, are being healed. There's miracles that are happening. This is like Billy Graham crusade on steroids. It's just crazy stuff going on. And, and, and the Holy Spirit's working through God's people. They're, all, they're saying yes to Jesus. They're, they're sacrificing their lives to follow him. Now, many of them are, are, are even experiencing persecution very early on, and, and yet they're doing it because they know this is what's best. They know that this is the, the best yes that I can say in this moment. And so then there's, the church gets established, and so what they realize is we need to build a leadership here. I mean, there's a lot of people. If all of a sudden ACF is like five, ten thousand 10,000 people, we're going to be like, hey, we should have some leaders? That'd be good, Right? And so in this group of people are those who are leaders, those who know, like, I can't just sit around and watch this happen. I want to be part of what God's doing. And so these leaders rise up, and they call out these, these leaders, and, and one of these leaders is a man named Philip. He's one of these seven who are chosen 
to, to be part of the leadership. He's known as Philip the, Evangelism, of, of the Evangelist. And so apparently he's got this, this gift and this ability to just share the gospel. That's literally evangelism, is the good news, the, the sharing of the gospel. That, that God's kingdom is here on earth and Jesus has come and he's coming to establish his kingdom and he is in rule and authority here on earth. That's good news. So he's out sharing the good news of, of Jesus. He ends up in Samaria. Great things are happening in Samaria. Also very cool. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up to him and speaks to him. Let's pick up the story here in chapter 8. In verse 26, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so, so he's doing ministry. Awesome things are happening in Samaria. Angel shows up. That's how you know awesome things are going to happen, right? An angel shows up, speaks to him, and says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to leave. I just want you to go. Which I just, I'm, th- I'm reading this going, this would be crazy. If, if, if today, like all of you got up and were like, baptize me, you know, whatever. A couple hundred people said, I want to get baptized. All of a sudden, everybody gets in the tank, and, and all of a sudden I realize, wow, first of all, a lot of unsaved people at ACF, but this is awesome. This is a great chance to, to see this happen. Decisions are being made. Lives are being changed. And, and then, like, tomorrow I wake up, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Look what's happening in our community. Like, God is changing hearts. And this angel shows up and says, Brian, you know what you need to do? You need to, like, go to Texas or something. You know, like, you need to go south. You need to go find a desert. I'm going to send you, send you to a desert. I would be like, no way. What are you thinking, right? All of a sudden, I'd try to be rationalizing uh, my, my, my rebellion against God. And this is kind of what happens with Philip. I can just imagine, we don't read much about his feelings in the matter, but I'd assume this would be a hard thing to swallow. Now, there's an angel, so you're like, well, there's authority, I guess. Uh, that doesn't happen every day. An angel's speaking to me. But at the same time, this would be a hard thing to swallow. He goes down to the south, to a desert, no less, right? Not even like to Palm Springs or something. Like, this is, this is a desert. This isn't like a nice place to be. And so... He goes down there, he meets this Ethiopian, and it says he's a eunuch. Do we know what a eunuch is, anybody? So this is a castrated man, and, uh, and this would have, this is interesting, as I was studying this, like this would have been part of the job description. <laughs> I was like, I know, that, I know that the times are hard economically right now, but I don't know like how bad of a place I'd have to be in to accept a job where, where like, so here's what it was, like he, <laughs> so he was, he was the treasurer for the queen, and so in their day, the king probably wouldn't want this man who's hanging out with his queen all the time, dealing with her money, to be a threat, right? So simple way to make him not a threat, make him a eunuch, right? And so this was kind of part of the job. I don't know like, what possessed this man to be like, sign me up. I don't know. It's going to be like an engineer or go be a doctor. I'm thinking, I'm thinking a treasurer eunuch. And so he takes this job on. I don't know how it all happens, but here he is. And he's a man of, of authority. He's a man of high stature. He's in a chariot. He's got some money. Like, this man's doing pretty well. And clearly, he's seeking out something. We read that he was going to Jerusalem to worship. It means that he knew something about what was happening here. Now, another thing that's interesting to note is that he's an Ethiopian. Now, now this would have been like a thousand-mile trip. 
I mean, this man has been on the road for a long time. And so as I said before, Jesus said, this message is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. You know where the ends of the earth were in their time? Ethiopia. Like as far as they could tell, that's the end of the earth. It's just going to drop off after that. We don't know what's going to happen, but that's about the end of the earth. So this man shows up, probably, probably a man, who, like a black man, which again, like was not part of their racial understanding of God's chosen people. And so this would have been a really big deal. He's coming to worship. Like, like this is a picture of how God's, God's kingdom is one of every tribe and every tongue and every nation coming together to be part of this community. It's just beautiful. And so this man shows up. He worships. He leaves. He's reading on the way out. He gets some kind of scroll. I don't know if they're selling them at like the gift shop on the way out of Jerusalem. You know, you get the little mini Jesus figure and you get like the scroll of Isaiah. And so he gets into, into the chariot and he's riding along and he's reading He's reading. I don't know where I, where I jumped out here, but we're going to jump back in at 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, this is a great question, do you understand what you're reading? So he's like, he's reading in his chariot, and, and, and in ancient times, it would have been a, like a customary for them to, to read out loud. It's just something they did. They would always read out loud, especially the word of God. And so for you, I don't know like how it works when you do your quiet time. Maybe you need to read out loud a little bit. But this is what they did. And so, so Philip's just walking along and just by chance, right, here's this man speaking Isaiah out of the window. And Philip's got a decision to make in that moment, right? This is awkward. You're at like the intersection. The guy's got his window rolled down. He's reading. And it says, this is, now this is the passage that he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. What? Right? Did you, are you listening? Okay. I just want to make sure you're still with me. Okay. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came to Caesarea. Okay. So, jumps in the window, hey dude, do you know what you're reading? And he, he goes, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? Talk about an opportunity, right? Talk about a great opportunity. And he, he jumps on it. Philip's like, I'm Philip the Evangelist. <laughs> this is a great chance to explain something to you. He just happens to be reading Isaiah 53, which go home and read Isaiah 53. And you're going to hear all about who Jesus was, this prophecy of this man who would come, the suffering servant, who would give up his life for the sins of the world. And so this man's like, who is this person? Clearly he had some understanding of Judaism. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, but maybe didn't quite get who Jesus was yet. He didn't completely understand what this was all about. And so he asks him the question, and then Philip, he simply explains the truth to him. He just lets it out and shows him how all of this is prophecy about Jesus. He perfectly fulfills all of the story and all of the requirements of the sacrifice 
super cool moment. Then all of a sudden, what, is, what does Philip do? Boom! Like he just, he just dematerializes, totally Star Trek style. Have you guys seen the new Star Trek? So like totally just teleports out of nowhere, disappears. I, I don't know, like just a cool moment. Not sure why God did that. If he was just like his legs were tired, just like a bonus in the moment. But he's like, hey, I'm just going to take you away to the next place where, or I'm going to have you do some more ministry. Okay, he disappears. He continues on sharing, sharing the gospel. So cool story, cool moment. The Ethiopian, the man, he just hears the truth and he responds to it. So a few things I want you to write down here is this. The first thing that I want you to consider today is that you would say yes to grace. In this moment, this man heard about Jesus and something in his heart must have leaped. Something in his heart must have leaped. He may have understood something about God and maybe he was weighted down with all kinds of thoughts about religious activities and religious duties and what he was going to have to do. He'd come and he'd worship and he'd learned and he, 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 he'd maybe grown a little bit when he was there and he was coming home and I can imagine maybe the man was overcome by all kinds of like, like weight, heavy weight of religion, which a lot of people are. We talk about how ACF Church, we're a church for the churched, unchurched, and dechurched. And if you're here today, and, and a lot of people have this story where you went to church at one point in your life, and then you stopped going at some point. You're like, either it's not relevant to me, or it just feels like more work to do, or whatever, something caused you, you were maybe hurt by the church or wounded by the church, you left. And then you come back, and then you hear about Jesus in a new way, and you realize it's not about you. It's all about him. And when you hear that, it's just like water on a parched soul, and you just, you just come alive. And so we don't know where this man was, but clearly something spoke to him when he read about this suffering servant, Jesus, that he is the one that, 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 that regains the relationship between us and God. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done. He just said yes to grace. He just said yes to grace. That's all he did. And maybe for you today, um, this is all you need to do. You just need to begin by saying yes to grace, by receiving it. Now, for some of you in the room, that may seem easy. And I would challenge you, if it seems easy, you may not understand the gift that you're getting because it's not easy. And you may not understand who you really are and how much you need it if it seems easy. I mean, the truth is grace is not easy. It's, it's scandalous. It really is. I mean, I mean really, like, your, the grace that you receive from Jesus is, is only as scandalous as your sin is shameful, and we need to, like, to truly understand grace, we have to spend time repenting and, and considering and confessing our sins to God. That's an important part of our, of our process and of our liturgy as, as Christians is to spend time in our days going, God, I know that I'm a wreck. I'm going to look my sin in the eye. I'm going to look my pride in the eye. I'm going to be honest about the junk in my life. Instead of hiding it, instead of rationalizing it, I'm just going to bring it before you. And then I'm just going to ask for your grace to pour out on me. And when that happens, it is scandalous. It's crazy. But it changes your life, right? And this man, it changed his life. He heard about Jesus. He heard about the suffering servant. And then he chooses to do the next thing. He gets baptized. So the next thing I would ask you to consider today is that you'd say yes to baptism. Say yes to baptism. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Okay, so ACF Church, this is how it works. We got a tank right here, okay? Now, I don't know where you've come from, uh, you know, religiously speaking. I don't know what your background is, um, but here's what this is. This is water. 
That's all it is. Like there's not like a pipe that leads from Jerusalem to the, the, to the tank with holy water where like when you get in the water, it, it, it's just like magic and it, and it rinses all of your sins away. That's a lot of times when you ask people like, why, why would you get baptized? People say, well, to wash away my sins. No, the water is water cleaned by the Anchorage water people. Like that's all it is. It's probably got some things floating. Like there's nothing special about the water. You now, you now you don't want to get in. You're like, oh, it's gross. No, we cleaned it. It's good. It's clean. But it's just water, you know, a little bit of chlorine in there. There's nothing special about the water. For this man, I don't, we don't know what this, was this like a mud puddle? What Was this like a, a little pond? Like we don't know what they found. They're in a desert. So I don't know what, I mean, what it was. But he found water, and, the, and clearly this man had heard the whole story. We don't hear everything that's said between this man and Philip. But Philip was sharing the same message they've been sharing everywhere, which is repent, believe the good news, believe it, and be baptized. And so this man, he's like, I don't know, why would I wait? What is keeping me from getting in the water? Kind of a rhetorical question, but a very real question. And I want to ask you that question this morning. What is keeping you from getting in the water? Why wouldn't you get in? What's the point? Now, if you're wondering, like, what is baptism? It's simply, it's simply us aligning with Christ. What happened to Christ? He was buried. And so as we go into the water, it's like us being buried with Christ. And then what, what did Christ do? He was resurrected. And so as we come out of the water, it's us aligning with the resurrection of Christ. It happens publicly because it's a public declaration. There may have been people all over the place. There might have been the chariot, chariot driver. We don't know if he got saved next. We don't know what happened. But people needed to see this. Why? Because baptism, when people see it, there's something powerful that happens in it. I've heard people ask before, you know, have asked me before, hey, can we just kind of do like a private baptism? You know, maybe like in a hot tub somewhere, just, you know, me and, me and you and maybe one other person. Like, like, can we just do it privately? And I always resist that because the point is to do it publicly. The point is it's hard to do it because a lot of you nerves come up. Maybe you've known you need to get baptized for a long time and you've got that, you know, that thing in your heart and Jesus is speaking to you right now and you're having an argument with him. Who's going to win, right? Who's going to win this morning? And you're like, well, but you know, what if they make me say something? We won't make you say anything, you know, but I don't have any clothes. Hey, we got clothes for you. You know, what if it's cold? It came out of the hot water heater like 30 minutes ago. It's nice and warm. I don't know what your argument is. What is keeping you from it? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe you're just like, well, what does it mean? Like if all these people see me get baptized and then tomorrow I like flip somebody off in the passing lane. What does that mean? Like, what does it mean if I do that? It means that you need grace. It means that you should have been baptized and that God needs to cover your sins. And that means that, you know, all the more grace is important to you, all the more you can lay down in bed at night and consider your sin and consider that God loves you and that you don't deserve it, but what you need is grace. So would you accept grace today, say yes to grace, and then would you consider being baptized? Another question people have, have is like, you know, what if I was already baptized? And so let me throw this out there. We don't really care a whole lot of how you were baptized, but we do care about when you're baptized. So here's what I mean by that. You might have been sprinkled. Somebody might have like slam dunked your head in water somewhere. Like we don't care exactly how the baptism happened. The whole point is it's a public profession of your faith. That's the whole point. So we don't really care exactly how. We don't care what kind of water. Was it muddy? Was it clean? But the when doesn't, does matter. Because the whole purpose is that you, as an individual, are telling the world, I believe in Jesus. 
My heart has been transformed and I want to follow him. And when I screw it up, I'm going to receive his grace. That's all that you're saying as you're baptized. And it's a commandment. Make no mistake, this is something we're commanded to do. This isn't an optional thing. This isn't an add-on. This is something that we choose to do out of obedience to God. Jesus said it. It's the last thing he said. Must be important. Go get baptized. So again, what is keeping you from this? What is keeping you? Maybe you got baptized as an infant, and you're like, maybe it, maybe it took, I don't know. Like, again, there's nothing to be taken, you know? It's simply a public profession, and if you didn't, you didn't mean it, or you didn't know what it meant, or whatever, at some point in your life, uh, maybe, maybe you realize, like, I really wasn't a believer. What you need to do is to go public with your faith. What you need to do today is to make that choice for baptism. A third thing we read about here, that, uh, the yes that we read about here is from Philip. And he says yes to go after the one. And this is where I want to close out. And this is, this is a great opportunity. If you're here today and you're like, I am a believer and I have been baptized, I want to ask you, are, does, does mission, uh, is mission like a mark of your life? As people look at your life, do they see somebody who's on mission? They see somebody who's going. It's interesting that the life of a believer is always one of movement. It's always one of going. And I love that, that there was all this happening in Samaria and in Jerusalem and that Philip was part of this amazing like, like church plant movement and thousands of people are coming to faith and God says, you know what, I'm going to take you to go after the one. I'm going to take you to go after the one. Jesus talks about it like this, that, that God is like a, a shepherd who would leave the 99 to go after the one. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to be one of his children. And we say this a lot. We would do church. Listen, we would get together here on Sunday morning, we would plan this whole thing, we'd fill the tank, we'd get the worship team up here, I'd come up and preach, we'd get all the lights turned on, we'd get everybody together, and we would do it all for one of you. One of you. Like if one of you are ready to respond to the grace of Jesus, if one of you are going to step into his hope in a new way today, we would do it for one. And I wonder for you, does that mark your life? Are you willing to go after the one? Because I would say this, everybody in, in this room has one person that God has put specifically in your life for you to be an agent of change, for you to share the grace of Jesus with them. You have the one. It's so interesting that, you know, God sends an angel, and, and who does he send them to? Philip. He sends them to Philip. Why doesn't he send them to the Ethiopian, was my question. If the Ethiopian, he's reading Isaiah 53, seems like a great opportunity for God to, to use that moment. And an angel could have been like sitting in the chariot next to him. Hey, angel, what's up? Hey, I'm going to explain Isaiah to you. It's, you know, and then he's going to get saved and, and maybe the angel's going to baptize him. I don't know what's going to happen. But God could have done it that way. Instead, God says, I'm going to send an angel to Philip. You guys, it's an honor to be able to share the gospel. And God knows it. And God wants you to be part of the joy that he takes in seeing one person surrender their life to him. What an honor. You see it as an honor? Is it just an inconvenience? Is it just terrifying? It can be terrifying and still be an honor. It's okay. It might be terrifying for the rest of your life, but there's somebody in your life who needs to be at church next week. There's somebody in your life that just needs to be served unconditionally. There's somebody in your life that just needs to see a Christian that really cares not somebody who's perfect, not somebody who doesn't make mistakes, but somebody who's honest and who just cares for other people. They need that. We need that. The church needs that. And so I love that he sends the angel to Philip so that Philip 
could take part in his joy of seeing this man be transformed. And that's what we do in baptism is we take part in the joy. Maybe you don't know the person in the tank. There may be one person. There may be, you know, many people. Maybe you don't know any of them. But as a believer, you get to take part in the joy because you're part of the church. And so you get to experience that together. So this is what we're going to do, you guys. I want to pray for us in just a second because I'm going a little long. But this morning, um, I want to ask you this question. What's keeping you from being baptized? What is it that's stopping you from stepping in to obedience to God and going public with your faith? I want you to know that today is your day. I want you to know that if you're arguing with, with God and you lose, you'll win every single time. And that walking into this, the water's not going to change your life, but a step of obedience always will. A step of obedience always changes our lives. And so again, if that's you, what's going to happen is I want you to just walk out into the lobby as we worship. We're going to do two songs, and they're going to, they're going to ask you just a couple simple questions, and they're going to give you some clothes if you need clothes. If you didn't come like ready to get baptized, they're going to give you all the clothes you need. So again, no excuses. And, and if you don't want to say anything, you don't have to say anything, just your name. But if you have a story to tell, uh, you might share your story. It's, it's up to you. But I want you to go out and check in at that table if you're ready to be baptized. Don't leave today without saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh God, thanks for your grace on us. Father, we are a broken people, a needy people, but a people covered in your grace. Father, we know that we're not good enough to get in the water. We know that we're not good enough to call ourselves your children. But we also know that that's why Jesus came. We know that that's the point, God. When we know that we're not good enough, that's the gateway to us receiving your grace. God, I know that that's what transforms our lives, God. We just keep coming back to it. Like this man in the chariot, uh, he heard about how much you gave up, God, the, the suffering you went through for him. And we hear about it today, God, and God, it, it, still, it still affects my heart. God, it still brings me to tears, what you've done for me. God, may we never grow calloused or weary of following you and God of considering the grace that's been poured out on us, of considering the cost that was paid by you for us. Father, I want to pray for the one in this room. God, the one who's fighting you. God, the one that doesn't want to take a step. It says, it's not my day, wasn't ready for this. God, that you'd speak to their hearts. And God, may we be a church that always says yes to Jesus. God, we may, may we be a church of people who always lose the battle against you. God, and, and may we be a people on mission, constantly going after the one. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.